I am often reminded, I ought to know it, of course, and I ought to remember it, but it surprises me time to time how very complex this world is. Uh, just think about it this way. There are many languages spoken by people of vastly different cultures and history in this world. That alone makes it very complex. Not to mention the fact that what some culture considers good, another culture might consider not so good. Now, for example, it's well known that, that Eastern cultures value community over the individual, and that's what they consider good, whereas Western cultures prioritize the individual over the community. That's what they consider good. Different cultures, different expectations, and sometimes we can't even agree upon what is good or the best. And that holds true even among people who, who live within the same borders and speak the same language. Sometimes we realize there is almost an infinite chasm that divides the people of this country. Uh, we need no other proof than to turn on our evening news, uh, how divisive our nation has become, how vastly different the politics are, how, how passionately different we are. Um, people and their lives are infinitely complicated. We live in a very complex world. However, what this passage helps us to see is that beneath and underneath the amazing complexities of this world lies a very simple fact. And this is the clarification that this passage gives us. Beneath and underneath the amazing complexities of this world, we realize that there are only two kinds of people. One type of people, they belong to the city that will fall. The other uh, kinds of people, they belong to the city that will endure. That's the crystal clear picture that we need to see from this picture. Yes, the world is very complex, complicated, diverse, and yet underneath all that, we need to be mindful of only two different kinds of people. Those that dwell in the city that will fall and those that dwell in the city that will endure. And so Isaiah uh, in this chapter shows us, and that is the first thing that we notice, the enduring city, the enduring city. Now you remember uh, we are in chapter 27, and in the last 26 chapters, we have seen how uh, threatened Israel was as a nation. They were facing an existential threat. They were, uh, they were expecting any day now the Assyrians to come and start a war against them. And so the people of Israel, they devised a survival strategy. Uh, the kingdom of Israel to the north, their strategy 
in order to deal with the existential threat, their strategy was to uh, form an alliance with Syria and with other nations around them. And so the mindset that strategy betrays is that they would find peace for their time through the collective strength of allied nations. So that was the strategy of the northern kingdom, to enter into alliance with Syria to strengthen her position against Assyria. Judah, the kingdom of Judah to the south, their strategy was to fortify the Jerusalem walls and to secure their water supply. And it seems to me their mindset was something like, tough times don't last, but tough people do. And it seems like they were trying to ride out the war as if that's a real solution to anything. But that was their strategy. Whereas the northern kingdom of Israel entered into foreign alliances, the southern kingdom of Judah, they built up their walls, they secured their water supplies. And when we think about what they are doing, we realize that the details of their strategies are different. But there is something in common that they share. They are both attempting to make their city endure by their own resources. And history tells us that they both failed. The northern kingdom of Israel could not withstand Assyria. Their allied strength was not enough. And the southern kingdom of Judah, their fortified walls wasn't enough. Israel and Judah, they both failed. And it is against this backdrop that Isaiah sees an enduring city. And so he begins out this passage by saying, We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. And Isaiah is describing for us a city that endures, and this city endures not because of the strength of men in alliance, and this city is safe not because of the thickness of our walls. Rather, this city endures because God, God is her salvation, and God is her protection. The peace and the security of this city do not come from human endeavor. So notice verse 4. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. You know, the stone walls of Jerusalem wall could not withstand the battering rams of our enemies. They crumbled. But God, Isaiah says, he is an everlasting rock. The rock that can withstand any and every attack upon it. The rock that keep his people forever safe and secure. What is the point? The point is this. There are really two different kinds of people. Those, on the one hand, that belong to the falling city and those that belong to the enduring city. And of course, you realize city here is a metaphor. 
of what they build our lives upon. And there is safety only for those who live by faith. So verse 3, you keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. That is to say, underneath the dizzying varieties of people in this very complex world, there are only two kinds of people and there are only two ways of living. Either you can seek peace and security apart from God, or you find your peace and security in God through faith. That is the crystal clear situation that Isaiah paints for us. And the question is, of which kind are you? Of which kind are we? Are you the ones that are seeking security and safety and peace apart from God? relying on your own strength and resources and plans? Or are you the kind that is seeking and finding security and peace in God through faith? And then the next thing that this chapter shows us, indeed what it looks like when we build our life upon faith. So building a life of faith looks like this. Notice how Isaiah describes the lifestyle of those who have come into the enduring city. Verse 5, For he has humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city. Now the Hebrew language, uh, the language which the Isaiah was originally written, the Hebrew language is an interesting language because it uses the past tense sometimes, to describe future events that have not taken place. I think Hebrew is the, the one unique language that does that. But it uses past tense to describe future events that have not yet taken place if the certainty of the outcome is not in question. If it can be sure if there is a guarantee, if it is certain that something is going to happen, the Hebrew language will put in that event that has yet to take place in the past tense because the certainty is there. And that is how we read uh, verse 5. For he has humbled the inhabitants, inhabitants of the height, the lofty city. What Isaiah is describing is this. Uh, living by faith means living in the space where there is discrepancy between what we believe and what we see. For now, the city of man, the city of man, the people who have built their lives, who are seeking their security apart from God, for now, that city is impressive. For now, that city is strong. It is rich with resources. It boasts of its many achievements. It is proud. It is high. And it is lofty. 
And the discrepancy comes uh, in the fact that for now, the city of man is strong. And that's what we see. But by faith, we believe that one day, God, just as he did with the Tower of Babel, God will humble man's lofty achievements. So that's the tension that we live with, and that's what it means to live with faith. For now, what we see is the city of man in glory, in strength, in power, rich and abundant with resources. And we, on the other hand, are not that. And notice how living by faith means to live with this tension because for now, though we are the people of the almighty God, for now we are the members of the enduring city and Isaiah describes us as poor and needy. Isn't that how we feel, don't we? Increasingly, God's people are felt to be the, the minority who are rapidly losing whatever influence we had on the culture. We are rapidly finding ourselves uh, as at the receiving end of the world's criticism. The policies of the, the nation, the culture are turning against us. There's going to be increasingly high cost uh, to stay faithful and to stay steady uh, to our faith. And so even though we are the members of the enduring city, for now, we are poor and we are needy. But as we live in this space of discrepancy where we live with this tension, we are called to remember that when God humbles the city, God has humbled it already. No, it hasn't happened yet. But he is going to do it, and of that there can be no doubt. The certainty cannot be questioned. And when he does that, when he humbles the law of the city, we will join in the triumphant victory. And so Isaiah says, the foot tramples it, the feet of the poor, the steps of the needy. What Isaiah is saying is this, when God humbles the lofty, exalted city of man, those who rely on themselves, who, who are proud of their achievements and accomplishments and resources, one day God is going to humble them. And we who are now poor and needy, we, we will uh, trample them. We will step on them in triumph. Now, this is not a two... This is not said in order to increase any kind of animosity on our part toward the world. And it is not meant to create in us or stir in our hearts any kind of uh, uh, sense of uh, hostility toward the world. But it is said in order to remind us that for now we live with discrepancies between what we see and what we believe. For now we live with this tension, but one day God is going to humble the, the exalted, the lofty, and we who are poor and needy today, we will become the victors and conquerors. And in view of that, we have to remember that living by faith does not mean that we are ever immune from hardship. After all, Isaiah calls 
God's people poor and needy. But it does mean that suffering is neither the proof that God has rejected us nor the proof that God has forgotten us. Rather, God has ordained for us the only lifestyle that befits the citizens of his enduring city and the only lifestyle that that befits us, that becomes us, is the lifestyle of a constant trust, the lifestyle of waiting on God, the lifestyle of seeking God. That's why in verse 9 we read, My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. That is to say, uh, in many ways, we are just like Isaiah's people because we also feel threatened. Now, I think because this country is so blessed, it is easy to forget that in some parts of the world today, this very moment, some people's lives are threatened by war, just like Isaiah's people were. But even if our own lives are not threatened by war, we face many other threats that are just as serious and just as real. There are many different ways our well-being is threatened every day. And we realize how scary and heartless this world is. You know, this came home to me this week when uh, on Facebook I saw a friend of mine from college days uh, was diagnosed with cancer. You know, I never think myself old enough to have friends with cancer, (laughs) but there we are. Uh, There are a thousand things in this life that that remind us, that threaten our well-being. So, as we face many threats in life, what do we do? What do we do? And that brings us to the last and the third point. We take our stand in the God of peace. We take our stand in the God of peace. Now, we spend our whole life looking for peace. And remember that when Bible talks about peace, when Bible talks about shalom, the Hebrew word for peace, That shalom in the Bible does not mean simply the absence of conflict. Because shalom in the Bible means more than that. It means to be whole. It means to be complete. And in that sense, we spend our whole life looking for peace. We spend our whole life looking to become whole, And we spend our whole life looking to become complete. The way that the worldly people phrase that today, apart from God, is to say, we are looking to fulfill our potential. We are looking to become truly actualized. We are looking to become who we are meant to be. That's what the world says. It's a different vocabulary, but the desire underneath is the same. We are looking for peace to be made whole, to become complete. And some people, some people think that the money will do that for them. 
or the things that they can buy with money. And they live their lives pursuing, chasing after money. But ironically, uh, that person who lives for money and who looks to money to become whole and complete, that person never becomes complete, but gradually loses himself until the only thing that remains of his personality is greed. Other people think that relationship makes them whole and complete. And so they chase attention and approval until they are left a bundle of unmet desires. Some people think fitness makes them complete and whole, and they become gym rats. And I I recently heard there's a new disease that psychologists have uh, coined, orthorexia. It's the disease of, of a constant craving after fitness. Uh, to the extent you punish your bodies, you are never satisfied. And rather than helping you, it makes you sick. And these are all the ways, just a few of the ways that people of the world are looking for peace, to become whole and to become complete. But what happens? Look at verse 14. Isaiah says, They are dead. They will not live. They are shades. They will not arise. What Isaiah is describing is the inevitable outcome of people who, who live in the city that will fall, who look for their peace, their wholeness, who, who long to be complete apart from God in their own Strengths. And the inevitable outcome is that rather than becoming whole or complete, they diminish. They gradually but surely lose parts of themselves until, until they become nothing, until they become shades. Uh, shades is uh, Isaiah's way of describing uh, a, a personality that's, that, has become, uh, dis, uh, that has undergone dissolution. It is not what it once was. And he's alluding to the fact that when they die, what is left remaining is far less of a person that they ought to be. And that happens because they have been seeking wholeness in the wrong place. But we are made complete in God. So verse 12, O Lord, you will ordain peace for us, for you have indeed done for us all our works. What makes us whole and complete is beyond our grasp. It is something that we receive by faith from the Lord who has done all our works. And it has to be that because if you remember back in verse 2, As Isaiah describes the enduring city, he says, the gates of the enduring city open for the righteous nation that keeps faith. If only the righteous may come in to the enduring city, that means that we can never come into the city in our own strength. Because uh, righteousness is not something that we can achieve because God's 
standard for righteousness is too high for us to achieve. So God has done all our works, Isaiah says. God has done what was necessary and needed so that we may come into this enduring city as a righteous nation. And what Isaiah is hinting at is the very fulfillment of what Jesus has accomplished on his cross and through his resurrection, his death for our transgression that wipes away our record of sin and unrighteousness, and his resurrection that justifies us, that makes us fully and completely righteous in God's eyes. You have done all our works, Isaiah says, to bring us into this enduring city. And indeed, that's what Jesus has done. God has made us to be in the right relationship with himself through his son's death and resurrection. And we are made whole. We are made complete through the gift that we receive by faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we become whole. And as long as we live, we long to be whole because as long as we live, we live in the space of discrepancy. There is a chasm between what we know we possess by faith and what we actually experience day to day. And sometimes our needs are so overwhelming and our sense of loss is so palpable that we can barely stutter a mournful prayer. So verse 16, O Lord, in distress they sought you. They poured out a whispered prayer and when your discipline was upon them. What Isaiah is picturing for us is a picture of a man at the end of his robes. Although he lives by faith, although by faith he is considered righteous, and although by faith he has been brought into God's enduring city, his daily experience is so difficult, so crushing, that he can barely whisper a prayer. This is a man at the end of his robes, just barely holding on and not sure how much longer he can hold on because life has crushed them in a thousand different ways. And I think we need to recognize that that can and often do happen. Though we are by faith in God's enduring city, though by faith we are righteous in God's eyes, though by faith we know one day we will be the victorious conquerors, for now we can experience a life that is crushing and hard, so much so that it is with difficulty you can barely whisper a prayer to God. But, but, even a barely whispered prayer to God is a prayer to the God of power, is a prayer to the God of grace, and is a prayer to the God of life. 
And even though we can barely and only barely whisper our prayer in life's many afflictions and hardship, God hears that prayer and God will see to it that hardships will not diminish us and hardships will not diminish us and leave us to be shades. But verse 19, your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. And what Isaiah is saying is that life here and now may be nothing more than a long and slow death. And although life here may be crushing, hard, and difficult, so much so that the most you can manage to do is bring out a whispered prayer to God. God will raise you. He will resurrect you into life and glory because Jesus, who has done all our works, that means not only he has, he has accomplished our salvation and our forgiveness, but he has already accomplished our resurrection. No, it hasn't happened yet. But the outcome of that is so certain, there can be no doubt about it, that we can say that, as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, those whom he has called, he has glorified. Past tense of an event that has yet to take place. And so, loved ones, hear this. We live in a space of tension and discrepancy. On the one hand, what we know by faith and belief. On the other hand, what we see and experience. They are sometimes radically different. And in the hardness of life, you may not even have enough strength to pray, but barely manage a whisper. But even if all you can manage is a whispered prayer, you are still praying to the God of power and grace. And one day, he will raise you into glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's pray together. Thank you, God, and we praise you for your loving kindness to us and these precious promises. Indeed, O oh God, I pray for your people who are hard-pressed, who are weary, who, who feel drained, who feel like they're running on fumes, who have nothing left in them but a struggling whisper. Lord, would you strengthen them? Would you encourage them? Would you remind them that you are strong for them, that you are holding them in your gracious hands, and that one day, you will raise them to life and glory. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.